Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Alan Smith. Alan's the Chief Information Officer of Baker Tilly, one of the largest accounting firms in the United States. Alan has been in role for over 21 years, one of the longest 10 years as CIO in the US. He's managed the company through growth, acquisition, various tech trends, and the pandemic. He's also built long-standing trusting relationships with the CPAs and consultants within the company as that company's business model has evolved over the more than two decades he's been with it. I look forward to covering all the above with him through this conversation. Alan Smith, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you as always. It's great to be here, Peter. Thank you very much for the invite. No, it's a, it's a pleasure. Well, I wonder if you could take a moment uh, and describe the company you work for. For more than two decades now, you've been the chief information officer of Baker Tilly. And for those who may be less familiar with Baker Tilly, uh, provide a little bit of an overview of the business, if you would. Right. So we're a global accounting firm, uh, advisory as well, and uh, based here in the United States out of Chicago. I'm physically outside of Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, The irony is moving from Chicago to Madison for the job, and then we Moved our headquarters to Chicago some years later. So I could have stayed. <laughs> I'm a Bears fan in Packer country, and it, it, I kind of like to be around some other Bear fans every now and then. Um, we're top 10 U.S. Uh, accounting firm, again, CPA. We are about 7,000 folks, about $1.5 billion in, uh, in revenue. And it's a very different organization than the one I joined. You mentioned uh, it's been just over 20, 21 years that I've been CIO. And as I mentioned before, I refer to myself as a human chupacabra. Uh, CIOs don't stick around that long. But uh, when I joined the organization, we had about 450 people and a run rate of 97 million. So Incredible. Very, very different organization. And I wonder if you could take a moment to talk about your role as chief information officer. As you noted, so, you, you, you've uh, it's an unusually long tenure, one of the longest I've ever heard of, in fact. And so the role also must have evolved tremendously across that time. I'd love your reflections on what it is now, but also what it's come from, if you would. Yeah, sure. The, the, the role itself and the, per, the purview or say the scope of influence is how I refer to it. Uh, is really the same. It's technology strategy usage within the organization, system delivering exceptional client service and value to our number of clients. My purview does not include the products that we might create for clients directly. So we do some uh, customized development work, et cetera. That's in our digital arm, which is part of our consulting group. But when it comes to the organization itself and the strategy for the organization itself from a technology perspective, that's that's certainly where my purview is. So the sphere of influence hasn't changed. What's happened is that sphere has just, you know, gone completely hyper growth uh, to the point where, you know, the the size of the organization is what it is and, and very, very different than what we were. We were traditionally a small regional accounting firm based in Wisconsin. Uh, and now we've got you know, global folks all over, you know, all over the place. So that hasn't changed. I had about seven or eight jobs in 12 years prior to joining Baker Tilly. And so I was known for I'll be somewhere for two or three years, go somewhere else. And, and that was indicative of the times, the internet and you know, dot com takeoff and everything else. But people will ask me, how you've been there for 21 years? How, how did that happen? Or why? Or, you know, what's going on? And my answer is, I, I believe I've worked for five organizations. They've all been called Baker Tilly because of the change that we've gone through over, over those 20 years. I've got or received the 
professional development and enrichment that I wouldn't have used to had to go somewhere else to get. So yes, it's it's being in the same organization that long, but the organization is vastly, vastly different than what it was. So it does feel like a new organization every every three years, four years. And, and that's one of the main reasons why I and OG, by the way, a significant percentage of the people who were with me when I started uh, are still here. Incredible. That's really remarkable. Talk, talk a bit about, I mean, the pace of change in technology is such that you have uh, implemented, uh, you know, kind of best in class technology and seen it through an entire cycle to the point of needing to retire it multiple times over. Uh, you know, m- many of your peers are, are, are more implementers and less retirers because the window they have as CIO doesn't necessarily require certainly the full cycle that I just described. And I wonder if you, if you could talk a little bit about sort of the way in which you think about managing technology with a longer term perspective in mind. That's an excellent question because there are what I call implementers and there are operators, right? And, and, and think of, always use sports analogies. So let's go with one. They're a, they're a player coach, you know, and you fire the player coach and you go with someone who isn't known to be a player's coach and you're going to fire he or she and bring someone in who's a player coach. So it's just this, this cycle that, that happens. Um, in, in our organization, if you take a longer approach, you have to recognize that what you're designing today, you're going to implement tomorrow and you're going to support next week. So it really is that life cycle. If you're going to be here for the, for the duration and you're going to be responsible for delivering the support and owning and that true, that total cost of ownership. Well, then you can't take that short-term approach. You can't make, you know, scoping decisions on the front end. Like for example, you're implementing a project and you need to hit a deadline and you need to hit budget. And those two things are fixed. What are you going to do if you're behind? Generally speaking, you're going to reduce scope. Right? So you're going to throw out some functionality, et cetera, so that you hit hit the deadline. Well, if, you're, if you know that you're going to have to operate that, you're going to have to live with that for a number of years, you may make a different decision. And so having that, that knowledge that, hey, again, today's innovation is tomorrow's run the organization technology, then it allows you to really be able to make, I would say, better long-term decisions if you take that long-term approach. And you mentioned that your team, many of your colleagues also have, have stayed with you for longer periods of time. You talked about some of the reasons why you've been compelled and, and yep. even made the point that uh, you feel as though others have made the, the same decision. Uh, you know, talk a bit about the culture, uh, uh, especially of the IT organization, and by extension, of course, right. the broader organization that make it such an attractive place to, to continue to work. Uh, you, you flatter. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll say this, you know, at this point in time, being there for over 21 years, if the culture isn't right, it's my fault. So I can't complain about the culture myself because you know, it kind of had something to do with it. Uh, one thing that I think technologists get wrong is no matter what your role is in technology, it's a relationship business. It's always a relationship business. Uh, and a lot of times we want to Ignore that. I want to focus on technology, or as I say, boxes with blinking lights, and, and there, there's human beings there. And so for us, it's about transparency. It's about having, uh, and now with, with a virtual work, a, a virtual open door, if you will. Uh, but everyone would say, oh, I have an open door policy. Well, how many times have you walked in 
when you were early in your career to your boss and he or she said, I have an open door and you walk in and you sit down and they're busy, you know, typing something saying, Hey, what do you, you know, what do you want to talk about? But they're not engaging with you. That's not an open door. Right. So for example, I meet with everyone on my team for 30 minutes, every 16 weeks, one-on-one. And it's to be able to make that connection, be able to give that time. And for that 30 minutes, it's their meeting. We'll talk about whatever they want. And so we talk about engagement, but to be fair, engagement is focus. Engagement is focus, it's time, and it's for the next 20 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever it is, this is where I need to be. I turn off IM, turn off the mobile device, everything else, and focus on that individual. And that is something that I hear over and over again from people who join the organization. It's like, this is weird. This is weird. I'm not, I don't know how to deal with having this kind of personal interaction with leaders. And some of my colleagues do it. Many of, of, of my direct report senior directors do it as well. And so it, it's about engagement, focus, intent. We'll use the word intent and purposeful a lot. Um, and, and, and it creates that relationship. Because at the end of the day, you don't work for a firm or a company. You work for the people around you and the people who are your friends. And the only way that you can build that trust is to have that interaction. And so that's what we focus on. That's really great. I want to talk a bit about the broader relationships with your colleagues outside of IT as well. Alan, as you and I have talked about in the past, um, you operated in an unusual company in an unusual industry. And as much as so many of your colleagues share a a credential that presumably most people in IT do not have, a CPA in your case. You know, it's the same thing in, and you've worked in law firms in the past and uh, IT friends of ours who are CIOs in, in, in law firms, um, you know, their colleagues, many of them anyway, have JDs that again, most of the people in IT would not have. And so there's, there's at least the possibility of this kind of uh, intellectual distance, if you will, by virtue of the credentialing. Uh, but again, you don't stay for over 21 years in an organization without successfully navigating that, building relationships, you know, being seen as a true thought, thought partner and leader within the organization. Talk a bit about the methods that you have used uh, in order to do so, to get, given the, some of the unusual aspects of, of the population across an organization like yours. Yeah, I, I, I'd say I want to be very respectful for the legal industry. All right. And, and yes, I spent a number of years working and consulting in that industry. The accounting industry is a bit different in the sense that it, it is more collegial. We share clients. We don't have client matter. In fact, we don't ever use those terms. We talk about projects and there's annuity work and repeat work. So I would say, again, with respect to the, to the, uh, to the legal industry, a lot of the focus of the practitioners in my organization have that client-centric viewpoint. And therefore, it does not matter what comes after your name, whether it's MBA, whether it's CPA, or anything else. It's all about, are we delivering the best experience we can, both for our colleagues, as well as our clients? And it's, by nature, it's a collaborative approach. So while there is that what comes after the name letters, um, only in very, very rare occasions has, has that ever come into play. Um, and, you know, you start nice, you know, I'll, I'll make a joke. I'm a finance undergrad. And so I'll say something like, oh, you know, I'm a finance guy. 
I don't just attract and, and add, I actually multiply and divide. <laughs> so that, 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 that little bit of kind of, you know, snarky humor does go over. Okay. And, and it helps break the ice a bit. But if you do run into those personalities where it's, you know, you're, you're, it's not in my backyard or you know, not invented here kind of an approach. It's really about changing the focus. So the focus isn't between me and that individual. It's about how me and that individual can provide a better experience to our customer or our client. Um, and always by twisting that or shifting that, that conversation, you find you get to alignment a heck of a lot quicker, which ultimately is a goal, right? And it's no different than if you're, selling accounting services or consulting services or selling potato chips, I think. It's relationships and it's about alignment and making sure that you can point directly to strategy and you know those folks are pointing directly to strategy. And once you get to alignment, that's 90% of the challenge right there. Now it's just about execution. Yeah. Another change that you've made me aware of uh, in, in your company and, and perhaps other companies at the same scale as your own is unlike when you joined and presumably for some years after you did when the primary business centered around you know this April 15th date primarily there are other dates that are of course on the on the accounting calendar that are important but this sort of uh, you know uh, uh, all important all consuming aspect to to when the business is is done and where a lot of the revenue is earned to now greater degrees of diversification of course yours is a business that still has prime responsibilities uh, uh, come April 15th, but now you've, you you uh, have folded in the, the, the business has uh, broader consulting services, for example, that spread out the the work across the year as well. I wonder if you could describe some of those those differences if you would. Yeah, so my, my CEO, Alan Whitman, talks about this publicly, that there is a stigma in the profession. And the stigma goes like this. How long have you been at Baker Tilly? I've been there seven busy seasons. We don't say seven years. We, we say seven busy seasons. I have a very good friend who's in uh, one of the, the major sports leagues. And, uh, and, and they ask, you know, how long have you been there? And you're going to find out it's baseball. And his response is they always say, I've been through seven, you know, spring training seasons. <laughs> right. So it, it's the same. It's the same kind of kind of an approach. Um, and, and we're trying to change that discord. We're trying to change the discussion. Our Consulting peers will say, you know, busy season is 12 months for us. Busy season isn't four months for us. Uh, but there is no doubt that uh, April 15th is a big date. There's no doubt that 90 days after January 1st, if you have a calendar year-end audit, that's a, that's a big date too. So we have um, uh, still have that, call it that cycle, that bump and cycle. But we're desperately trying to get rid of the nomenclature of quote unquote tax busy season and being able to do things differently. We still want to make sure, you know, I, it was stated uh, before for us, January 1 to April 15 is from black Friday to Christmas, right? That's, that's a big, you know, big, big, big uh, window. You cannot mess things up. Downtime during that window is, it, it just cannot happen. And so we still have to have, you know, scaled and industrialized and resilient systems, but we are afforded the opportunity now to continue to add new digital capabilities into the organization, even during that time, because of the other 
practitioners in our in, in our firm that are doing not doing assurance work or taxation work. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, you've also been candid. I mean, as, as is known, uh, that there's <laughs> there's a dearth of of talent. Um, yeah. The openings across the industry. Uh, they are not being filled by the number of people who are getting accounting uh, specialization and, and CPAs and so forth. Talk a bit about the, you know, the ways in which an organization like yours and with technology, uh, are you grappling with that? Right. So that, that question right there is, is you know, two hours of, of, <laughs> of discussion. Um, but I'll, I'll say this. The the fact of the matter is that there, as you stated, there are more jobs in public accounting that are open right now than there are graduates in universities with accounting degrees. And it's going to be that way for at least five years. This is nothing that's just Baker tell you. And so how do you deal with talent shortage? And really, there, there's only two ways. You go for non-traditional backgrounds, non-traditional educations, you know, why does, why do you have to have a CPA? Why do you have to have an accounting degree? Can't we use people who come from, you know, more of a liberal arts area or, or a systems area? Because an audit, if you really start, you know, pulling at the thread and understanding what an audit is, an audit are, is checks and balances. And that's very much like a system developer, if you think about it that way, right? You have a process, you have a workflow, how is all that working? The second is through technology either technology to have our, our folks be more efficient and effective so that I can do 20% more volume than, than what I've been able to do before. So for example, this is a real stat. For this year in one of our lines of business, we had 37% increase in volume with 15% fewer people. Uh, and, and it's leveraging technology for that. Now, please, please, please recognize we are not talking about eliminating labor, labor cost. We don't have it. <laughs> so it, we're, we're, not, we're not looking at shedding people. We're looking at the fact that we can't get enough people. Um, so this isn't about cost savings. This is about a true efficiency play and the augmentation of productivity. Uh, that our folks have. And quite honestly, there's no one that I'm aware of who if you would approach them and say, hey, I'd like to get rid of the menial tasks that you don't like to do, we're gonna say, here, take it, you know, get rid of it, this is great. Um, so we have a lot of collaboration uh, in, in our organization to that end. So our change management process is actually, it's robust, but it's not as critical in, in for the next five years again, because anything that is going to make someone more effective, they're, they're dying for, because the only other answer is to work more hours. And we don't want to work more hours. We as an organization are trying to reduce the number of hours that people are committing during the busiest times of the year. Very interesting. Uh, fascinating to think about that evolution and the downstream impact of that, certainly, Alan. A, a, a related topic in terms of the way in which work mm -hmm. is done, um, obviously yours, like so many industries was able to, uh, work virtually, uh, when, when the pandemic struck and, uh, you know, new rhythms, uh, were established as a result of that. It sounds like, of course, you you, despite having a global role have been, um, outside of the headquarters on a day-to-day -day basis anyway, for some time, given your move to Madison, 
Um, so you're used to uh, being at least uh, having a little bit of distance from where a lot of the other leadership is in the firm as well. Talk a bit about the evolution of the, your thought process and that of your yeah. team and the technology, the way technology is bringing to light new means of, of effectively collaborating. Right. So here's here's the interesting part. So March 16th was a Monday, 2020. It's seared in everybody's head. We're all in the same spot going remote. The advantage that we had is at various points in time, one third to one half of, of my firm would be remote. They'd be at client sites. They'd be out doing audits. They'd be out doing engagements or or interacting with our clients. We just never envisioned that everybody would be gone at the exact same time. Um, so for us, while it was a change, it wasn't a monumental change like some other industries had to go through. Um, so yes, we were able to respond fairly quickly, but you know, we also had some advantages that others did not. Um, if that being said, now it's focusing on collaboration, right? Communication. Over the last three years, I and, and I've I've confirmed this with other colleagues and, and peers inside and outside the industry. The the speed of adoption of technology has just skyrocketed. We had been on Zoom, we rolled out Teams for, for because we didn't have desk phones anymore because we're all remote. We rolled out uh, teams for voice in eight weeks for 6,000 people, uh, including outside the US. And everyone was hungering to get that. Um, and so that was very different than if you went through that type of a change, you know, let's say two years earlier, when I think folks would have said, oh, you can't take my desk phone away. This is crazy. I don't want this new technology. So we've had the benefit of the industry. We've had the benefit of the adoption of, of new technologies. But for us, the core, the, the real core is how can we continue to keep collaboration and interaction, go back to the culture uh, answer that I gave earlier about it being interactive and focused and purposeful with intent. How do you do that in a virtual environment? My CEO says, hey, we, we pulled the organization like a rubber band into a new shape. And we don't want to just let go and have it snap back to the way it was. There are advantages that we're seeing to what we're doing, but there are some disadvantages. And that gets into what I refer to as the art and the science of the work that we do for our clients. And this is true in, in many professional service organizations, regardless of what it is. How do you teach and train people who are new and coming into the, to the industry? Um, it's not as easy to do that when you're in a virtual or remote environment. It can be done. It's just more challenging. Again, you have to have that intent and, and, and purpose behind it. That is, I would say, what one of our areas of focus is over the next several years is how are we going to leverage the technologies that exist today? And to be fair, the technologies that have yet to come that will create a, a, a tighter, better, more collaborative environment for us. Um, and it's not that the, these tools aren't good. It's what's that next step? What's that next iteration? Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, we're, we're already talking about a number of relevant trends as we think about the, the, the way in which business will be done in the immediate and medium and even long term. I wonder what other trends, Alan, excite you as you look to the future? What, el what else comes to mind? Well, uh, there's certainly 
I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to pander to the topic of the day of chat GPT, but the, the reality is AI will continue to be front and center for us. I, I actually tell my leadership team, the reward for getting through AI is then we'll deal with, with uh, blockchain and, and cryptocurrency, et cetera. We need to deal with what's happening with AI now. And AI comes in two flavors. The first is AI that's embedded in the products and services that we consume and use. The second is how can we leverage AI ourselves? You know, we think about in terms of providing service or training or, or, or education to our own team members, right? How, how is it gonna change the tools that we use and how is it gonna change the organization and or the culture? Um, so I am still floored. We talked about the, the rapid adoption pace that we've seen over the last three years. ChatGPT was released to the general public in November. It's gotten into the consciousness of, of mainstream media in less than 60 days after it went public. So, oh my gosh. Now, I think that there are some people out there that are, you know, doing the old, uh, you know, I for one welcome our new computer overlords. But the reality is it's natural language processing. It's looking at strings. It's determining or predicting what the strings would be that were that are after it. It does it in such a sophisticated way uh, that it, it makes it look new and fresh. And I think from the trend specific to AI, it's going to be around search and for our purposes, re research. How is it going to change how we research um, code and taxation, for example, go back to tax. Um, and ultimately, is there a way that we can leverage that type of service into a digital product that we could then provide to our to our clients? Um, the metaphor comparison would be, uh, I used to be able to say just me, but I used to be able to pull up into a, a, a gas station and someone would pump gas. No one's pumped gas in my car for 40 years, but <laughs> but it used to be that it used to have that as an option. And so, what is that going to change or be the ripple effect? So again, I don't want to I don't want to focus on you know the the latest topic, but the fact of the matter is, AI uh, for any professional services or organization can be a great great benefit to us, mm -hmm. and that's how we need to view it. Not as a, oh my gosh, you know, we, we need to put up the walls and protect us against that. Yeah, very, very interesting and, and certainly makes sense uh, uh, the way you frame that. I also wanted to ask you, Alan, um, you know, as you, as you reflect upon your career uh, and your, your long tenure as a CIO, but all that came before that as well, what, what do you attribute uh, your success to? What are a few of the factors that you would call sort of the secrets to your success? And I ask you to, to perhaps tune your answer as kind of advice to the next generation or others who might wish to walk in your footsteps. What comes to mind? Yeah, so one of the best pieces of advice I got, and I got, I got a whole bunch, but specifically one was... When, when you're early in your career, you'll have the opportunity to, you know, hey, can you help me with something? Can you fix this? Hey, I have this problem at home or I have a friend, you know, can you help out? I, I was told, always take advantage at creating a network whenever you get the chance. And so I would tell leaders who would approach me when I was, you know, two years out of college, three years out of college, and they would have a problem. I'd say, I'd be happy to help you. Um, as long as, you know, we can have lunch together or, you know, sure, I'll come out to your house and help you with something as long as we can have dinner. 
it, it was a way of being able to create connections. This is about one-on-one -on -one interactions and uh, being just being viewed as someone who's curious uh, and not just curious about technology, but curious about the organization you work for, curious about how leadership makes decisions, curious about how, uh, how folks prioritize. And after time, you're going to start to realize that you've built a very, very large professional network. And all you did bluntly was help someone and they, and they fed you. <laughs> so it, it, that informal nature of lunch or dinner is fantastic because it's not the same as sitting in an office with someone. It's not the same. Do you remember the first time you ever did business travel with someone and you know, you're nervous and you want to make a good impression and everything else. Yet the bonding happened maybe at the bar in the hotel, or maybe it happened at 1130 at night at the client site because there was a problem and you were all working together. That's what you remember. Yeah. And so how can you take advantage of this great chance of someone is asking you for something and in return, all you're asking for is their time. And so, yeah, I, that, that would be the, the single biggest advice, and doesn't matter what your vocation is, anytime that you can turn an opportunity and an interaction into something more social is always going to pay dividends. Well, uh, what a great response. Uh, Alan Smith, thank you for a, for a great conversation, highlighting uh, the remarkable tenure you've had as CIO of Baker Tilly and more about just the insights that drive you and have helped you shape, shape your team uh, uh, into the success that it is. Thank you so much for making time for me and, and for this great conversation. Thank you, Peter. Uh, appreciate it very much.